You're listening to Welcome to Books and Boba, a book club and podcast featuring books by Asian and Asian American authors. My name is Marvin Yue. And I'm Rira Yu. And welcome to our February 2023 mid-month check-in, where every month we take a look at the latest Asian American book and publishing news. Um, it is Valentine's Day week. Um, Rira, happy Valentine's Day. Yeah. Uh, what did you do for Valentine's Day, Marvin? I took care of my ailing wife because she got sick um, the day before Valentine's Day. Um, it was not COVID. Um, we believe it was caused by... Um, so we visited one of our friends over the weekend, and her baby has the habit of sticking his hand in people's mouths. So I'm pretty sure that's where she got the bug from. Uh, that's Yeah, that's rough. <laughs> and it's your first Valentine's Day as like a married I know too. <laughs> it was pretty uh it was pretty depressing. <laughs> I had to spend Valentine's Day alone. We uh, we hung out over FaceTime, I guess. Cuz you know, we were taking COVID precautions right? we were quarantining just in case it was a COVID. Um but um she's been cleared and uh, it was just a it wasn't mild, but it was just like a stomach bug. Yeah. Ooh, yeah, those are nasty. How was your Valentine's Day? Uh, nothing special. Like we ordered takeout and we watched Fellowship of the Ring. So <laughs> it was very, it was a very chill Valentine's Day. <laughs> a very chill three hour long movie. Uh, did you watch the director's cut? No, no. It was just the uh, feature length. Uh, mm. My partner and I, we have like a special relationship with Lord of the Rings because uh, one of the first meetings I've had with Dan was um, he was working on a short film that was kind of like a parody of Lord of the Rings. Oh. And uh, I helped with casting. So, <laughs> uh, <laughs> and also like I was obsessed with Lord of the Rings for a really long time mm. to a point where like I memorized the script. So, oh, wow. <laughs> like, That's so, a like, very long script. For, for like most of the movie, I was just like repeating the lines. <laughs> it's become like a very, it's become like a comfort movie to me over the years. So it was a very chill Valentine's Day. So did you um, watch The Rings of Power then? Or are you like, are you over your... Oh, yeah. I watched The Rings of Power. <laughs> and that, I did not like it. it you was, didn't? I thought it was all right. No. I thought it was, you know, you can definitely I will see say all the it was money better, it, it was better than I thought it was going to be. Mm. But the ending really, like, I, I feel like it docked maybe two stars oh. from my original rating. I was are, you like, talking about the, are you talking about the big twist? Yeah, the big twist. Oh, yeah. And also, like, it was just weird with, um, with like, Galadriel's uh, characterization and also, like, how everything is so compressed in the timeline that I'm like, uh, it seems kind of rushed. But You don't like girl boss Galadriel? No, I, I, I don't. <laughs> I feel like they could have done a way better job um, showing, like, the, I guess, like, more violent and uh, edgier side of Galadriel, but as like an elf that's lived for thousands of years, like during the era of the trees, like I, I don't believe it. So, oh, you heard it, folks. Hardcore Tolkien fan, Rira, you. I don't know. Don't call me a Tolkien fan because <laughs> I've not 
read the entire um <clears throat> I have not read the Similarillion. <laughs> I've only like maybe skimmed through it and watched a lot of video essays oh. on it. So Did I, say I am not a Peter Jackson fan. Uh no, because that means that I watch his other films oh. and after what he did with The Hobbit, I'm, like, <laughs> I'm revoking. <laughs> I'm, I'm selective this back. Lord of the Rings, um, Middle Earth fan, Riri. <laughs> um, but earlier this week, I had the pleasure of meeting the entire squad of the Kim Chingurus. Um, all of them had an event at Bel Canto Books in Long Beach, and it was so great because Gracie is all the way from. New Zealand. So I was like, when am I ever going to see her again? And then Sarah's from Canada. She's from Vancouver. I've seen I've seen Sarah before, but it's also like you're from Canada. When when else am I going <laughs> to see you in person? Yeah. Shout out to the Kim Chingus. Um, I've never been to Bel Canto Books yet. And I, I actually didn't come with Uriah because they had sold out beforehand. And now I'm learning from you that I probably could have shown up because there were um last minute tickets available but you know maybe next time maybe next time the chicken chingus are in town we can finally hang out uh but yeah that sounds like a lot of fun uh, we have had all but what two of them on our podcast before so um looking forward to collecting the rest of the kim chingus on, on this podcast they're human beings we shouldn't <laughs> treat them like pokemons uh but gracie and susan are uh coming out with books this year so we will be talking to them yeah. Eventually. Let's do it. Definitely looking forward to that. Uh, all right. So um, on that note, let's get started with our mid-month episode. Uh, as always, we start off with the latest publishing news in the world of Asian American literature. As with before, we have omitted most of the HarperCollins books uh, from this list, although as of this morning, the strike is over. Uh, so I guess in the near future, we'll probably do a um, oops, all HarperCollins uh, book update, um, a special episode for y'all to go over all the um, book news that we've missed from that publisher. Um, but we are going off of a list that we were put together last night while they were still on strike. So um, all the HarperCollins and HarperCollins imprints are not um, going to be listed um, this round. But um, stay tuned for that. And we'll probably talk more about the end of the strike um, later on in our new segment. But um, to get started, Rira, what is our first book deal? All right. Our first book deal is in a two book deal, Dell bought North American rights to Nana Kumar's debut novel, Say You'll Be Mine. Pitched as My Best Friend's Wedding meets Indian Matchmaking, the book follows a young woman who enters a fake engagement with the man her parents always wanted for her in an effort to survive being the best man at the wedding of her ex, whom she still has feelings for. Publication is set for 2024, and the second novel is currently untitled. This sounds like just the kind of rom-com chaos that you want from like a, a, a good rom-com, right? Yeah, it sounds like a bad idea. <laughs> also, what are you doing uh, being the best man at your ex's wedding when you still have feelings for them? Well, you know, sometimes you're still best friends with your ex. Really? Like, <laughs> I'm sure it happens here and there. I've seen it happen multiple times I, in other rom-coms. I've so. seen it happen. I've seen it have to, like I've seen it happen a couple times in real life, but not to the degree of they would be called as like the best man <laughs> or maid of honor because it feels weird for the partner, doesn't it? Because it's your wedding and having an ex there, like 
in the in the high table of honor. I I don't know. Yeah. That would be It's weird. an awkward situation where I <laughs> I would definitely not recommend putting yourself in. Um but this sounds fun cuz I love fake relationship stories cuz uh lots of conflict comes with it. Yeah. And the fact that it's with a guy that her parents always wanted to set her up with is pretty hilarious to me. Yeah. Next up, Learner's imprint Carol Rhoda Lab bought World English Rights to Pangu's Shadow, a YA novel by Karen Bao, the author of The Dove Chronicles. Um, Arrow and Ver are two of the most promising biology students in the Pangu star system until they become suspects in their teacher's murder. The rivals reluctantly team up to find the real culprit running up against system-wide inequalities and conspiracies. Publication is set for spring 2024. Ooh, murder mystery in space. Murder mystery in space with nerds. <laughs> Love it. <laughs> yeah, and um, system-wide inequalities and conspiracies gives me um, noir vibes. So um, love to see dystopian future murder mystery. It's all the right keywords for, for my heart. All right, next up, Rika Simonson acquired Freeman Ng's YA novel and verse, Bridge Across the Sky. Inspired by the poems that Chinese immigrants to the U.S. carved into the walls of the Angel Island Detention Facility in San Francisco Bay, the 1920s set novel follows teen Su Tai Go's lengthy wait to find out if he, his father, and his grandfather will be allowed into the country, and his awakening to the political realities of his new home. Publication is planned for fall 2024. Yeah. Um, Angel Island, for people who aren't aware, is the... Um, I guess it would be the equivalent of Ellis Island on the West Coast, except much less um, glamorized in history. Since it was the um, the gateway into the U.S. from the Pacific, it's where all the Asian immigrants came in through in like the late 1800s and early 1900s. And the experience is definitely a lot different than what you hear about um, during that time when America was supposedly like the haven for, for all who wants to be free. Yeah, before they uh, kicked out most Chinese people through the Chinese Exclusion Act <laughs> and a bunch of other uh, racial acts that they passed. So Yeah. Lovely. Uh, but this book sounds great. I love how it is a novel in verse and that we're going to be seeing some poetry. And yeah, I'm excited for the book. Yeah. All right. Our next book deal. Scholastic acquired world rights to becoming Boba by Joanna Ho, um, the author of Eyes That Kiss in the Corners, among others. Um, it is a picture book about the history of boba, cultural shifts through generations and letting your true color shine, and explores the common diasporic question, what does it mean to be boba or Asian enough? Um, Amber Wren will illustrate the publication is set for fall 2024. Well, this sounds like a book that fits our podcast. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, any book with Boba is like an official Books and Boba um, recommendation, I think. Um, it sounds cool. I think it's it's interesting play on the fact that like for a lot of Asian Americans, I feel like Boba is kind of like an identity. You know, it's what we have latched onto as like a representation of Asian American culture. And I think exploring um, exploring that culture through Boba is is really smart and really, really cute. Yeah, I mean, you could definitely track the growth of, like, Asian American quote-unquote coolness <laughs> by, like, how many boba shops popped up in your neighborhood. Because 
Back when I went to college in Manhattan, there was only one boba shop. And I went back like a couple of years ago, and now there's like so many boba shops. That was, <laughs> I was like, wow, there's a Kongcha here. And <laughs> yeah. they actually have like main chains, whereas like the, the boba shop that I went to was like family run. So. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely wild to hear you say that because you went to college after I did. And like boba was already proliferating all across the West Coast when I was in college. So like the, the spread of boba to the East Coast was definitely a lot slower than like I thought when I was younger. Yeah, and I lived in Georgia before I went to college, <laughs> and like we had more boba shops, uh, you know, before I moved to Manhattan, and it was like, I was like, it, it's wild because Manhattan is so, you know, it's so big and busy, and it's like the hot pot of so many different ethnic communities, and it was just kind of sad. Yeah, it's supposed to be like a multicultural <laughs> metropolitan hub, and so that's just. Further proof that New York ain't as hot as it thinks it is. It's not. Also, <laughs> like Asian food is not as good as you think it would be. I mean, probably different now, considering I, I feel like there are more Asian American chefs that have opened restaurants in in like the boroughs. But back when I went, it was like either very expensive or not very good. So... <laughs> Yeah, But I'm excited uh, to see this book by uh, Joanna Ho. Joanna Ho, um, you know, the author of Eyes That Kissed in the Corners, and that book has gotten numerous awards. And I know a lot of kids and parents have praised it because uh, it really showed, it really celebrated, you know, Asian American identities. And, you know, I feel like we need more books like that because... Uh, especially like the older generation, we kind of grew up with. Yeah, I mean, our representation was like Tiki Tiki Temple, which was a very, very racist book looking back on it. And for like the non-Asian parents who are, you know, giving this book to kids or reading it out loud at libraries, um, it's going to teach kids, hey, maybe don't comment on Asian people's eyes and ask them why their eyes are smaller or... <laughs> Or just point things out like that. Yeah, and also boba is cool. You should drink it. Uh, our next deal is Page Street has acquired Helga by Catherine Yu, the author of Direwood. In this gender-bent Frankenstein retelling, blending comedy and body horror, 18-year-old Helga wakes up swole, feisty, and a big shock to her scientist father. When her father leaves town on business, Helga escapes the lab to explore her volcanic island home in search of rowdy punk clubs new friends, good food, and on the hunt for a cute boyfriend, even if she has to make one herself. Publication is set for spring 2024. This sounds like, a, this sounds fun. It's like a, a YA Frankenstein riff. Um, when I hear Woke Up Soul and Feisty, I'm thinking of, I don't know, are you watching Physical 100, Rira? N no, I'm not. Oh, I'm just thinking of those, those bodies right now, because man, a lot of swole bodies in that show. Like I for for a long time I was just like what is this thing that they're <laughs> for a long time I didn't know what physical one hundred was and why so many of like my friends were watching it oh, and then it's so I good. it's so good and then I saw the thumbnail and I was like oh I can see why <laughs> <laughs> I think you and Dad would appreciate it it's kind of like it has the trappings of a death game but the vibes of a Bake Off it's pretty awesome <laughs> interesting interesting. 
Um, but yeah, always love to see like gender bent riffs on classic stories. I love how it's it's about a teenager, just a typical teenager who wants to, you know, go out and have fun. <laughs> yeah. a, a fun night on the town, but it just happens that they're kind of like Frankenstein. <laughs> All right. Um, our next book deal, Putnam Acquired North American Rights to the Fetishist by Catherine Min. The second and final novel by the late author who died in 2019. The story is about a daughter's revenge on the man who she believes drove her mother to her death, though nothing goes as planned. Min's 2006 debut novel, Secondhand World, earned her critical acclaim and was shortlisted for the Penn Bingham Award. Min's daughter, writer, and editor, Kayla Min Andrews, helped edit the novel and intends to help promote it before and after publication, which is set for January 2024. Revenge stories are very hot these days, thanks to the glory. I feel like so <laughs> many people are watching it. I feel like revenge stories have always been hot, though. Like, you always, yeah, like... Yeah, they've always been hot. You know, yeah. starting from, like, way back. What was the classic one? Um, Count of Monte Cristo? Isn't that, like, the original... One of the original revenge stories? I'm sure there are classic, like, Eastern stories that are also very revenge-focused. Yeah, I feel like it is a universal uh, feeling of, I want to get revenge on someone who has wronged me and I've waited <laughs> all this time. It's a, Depending on your culture, it's either revenge is served hot or cold. And uh, I feel like with a lot of Asians, it tends to be served on the hot side. Or like hot and cold, right? It's like cold because it's like a grudge you've held for decades. But you're still burning about it. Yeah, I, <laughs> I think it really depends on 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 like which Asian culture you come from. Um, but this sounds really entertaining. Yeah, and it's um, it's nice to see that um, Catherine's daughter is helping bring her mom's book um, to life, even after after um, her mom's death. I'm sure it was also a pretty painful process. But um, I'm sure a great book came out of her efforts. Yeah. All right. Next up, Random House Studio bought world rights to the Jade Bracelet by Ha Din. Illustrated by Yong Ling Kang, the picture book is about a girl who learns to love the Jade Bracelet given to her as part of a family tradition, even though it's so unlike the glitzy jewelry worn by her friends. Publication is slated for spring 2025. Jade bracelets are pretty cool, though. And they're expensive. And they're like, they are you can't take it expensive. off ever, right? It's because it's like, it's stuck on your hand unless you break the bracelet. I mean, don't they make it big enough for you to slide it off? From what I know about jade bracelets, they make it big enough for you to slide it in. But like, it's very hard to slide out of. Interesting. Yeah. I know that like for, like, I know for some of my Chinese friends, uh, they get like jade jewelry from like when they're babies. And that's, like, part of, like, the family heirloom. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure this is the um, the the moral of the story is jade is just as cool as gold or jewels or whatever. But I've always thought jade jewelry was pretty cool. It's, like, um, the equivalent of boba, but for jewelry because it's, it's very, like, iconic of, like, Asian aesthetic, right? Yeah. And also, like, her friends wearing glitzy jewelry. I'm sorry. That... <laughs> They're probably shopping at Claire's and their jewelry is all fake. You're getting like legit high quality stone as your jewelry. So you <laughs> yeah. shouldn't be jealous, but it's a picture book. So I'm guessing that the kid is very young. Yeah, she probably don't know no better, but that jade is probably worth way more than all that. 
that glitzy, shiny stuff. So no, yeah, you could it. probably sell that and pay off a lot of debts. <laughs> All right. Uh, next up, uh, Disney Hyperion acquired at auction "When the Sky Is Deepest Blue" by Claire Osanko. This YA debut tells the story of Dee Dee Walters, an insomniac in conflict with her strict Filipino single mom, who won't let her learn how to drive. But when Dee Dee meets the new boy next door, whose home life also keeps him up at night, a series of midnight driving lessons becomes an escape from the pain and secrets they both have inherited. Publication is slated for fall 2024. I can definitely relate to the midnight driving lessons because, really? <laughs> because like my dad... Um, I mean, this was before uh, I took like official driving lessons, but when my dad was first teaching me, he could only teach me at night. So we would like find an empty parking lot and practice. Oh, wow. And it was like, yeah, it, it would be like really late at night. Sometimes it was like 10 o'clock, not close to midnight because I still <laughs> went to school. But um, yeah, <laughs> learning how to drive at night is... It's kind of creepy. It it gives you like horror, like horror movie vibes. Don't recommend it. But this <laughs> sounds more romantic. Yeah, I think this is more like sweet and um, no boy meets girl type of type of story. Although if it does take a creepy turn, I'm not against that. But um, I don't think it's that type of story. <laughs> no, it feels like it's like an indie movie love story yeah. about two teens who you know they have. They have hidden pain, and they're able to share that with each other. Yeah, and the hidden pain is intergenerational conflict, which is the most Asian-American of all stories. Yes, the whole, <laughs> my mom doesn't understand me, and I would like to have freedom. You know, it's something that yeah. all of us go through. Yep. All right, next up, Norton Young Readers acquired world rights to picture book Leaf's Gift, written by Michael Wang and illustrated by Lenny Wen. The picture book is about a boy's plant collection that takes over his bedroom. When important belongings start to go missing in the overgrowth, Leaf must use his botany skills to find a solution. Publication is tentatively slated for winter 2025. This just sounds like a self-made problem. Like, no one should have that many plants. I just realized that I probably mispronounced uh, the character's name. It's probably Leaf's Gift because it's about plants. Oh, it is. I get it now. <laughs> I'm definitely not a plant person. I kill every single plant that oh. I get from, from people. But I like to blame that on my environment because I live in an apartment where I don't get a lot of direct sunlight. <laughs> For a while, when I used to work in an office, I had a cubicle um, succulent, which I was raising. But uh, yeah, I don't know what that one. I think I gave it to a coworker when I left. Did you take care of it? Like, did you actually water your su succulent? Because yeah. you're supposed to do that like. I don't know, not not monthly, but you're supposed to like dunk it in water instead of like pouring water on top of the soil i think i just poured water on it it's probably dead at this point although it was I mean, at this point it was i mean i'm sure my coworker is taking better care of it it's probably in a better place than in my cubicle but yeah this sounds like a lot of fun and may encourage more kids to raise some plants in their room which i'm sure parents will love because um it definitely won't attract any bugs into the house i mean if it's inside if, I don't see why they would attract bugs. 
just make sure you close your windows. Mm, bugs with went away. All right. Our last deal. Candlewick Press bought world rights to Harshini Vankaneni's debut picture book, What Color is the Baby? Illustrated by Neha Rawat Batish, the story takes a loaded question steeped in colorism and creates a journey in which one girl finds a new and loving way to welcome a new baby sister. Publication is set for spring 2025. Ooh, Ooh colorism. That is, yeah. a, that is a loaded topic for a picture book. Yeah, especially in an Asian family. Like, colorism is something that we've all dealt with um, because, man, those prejudices run deep. It really does. Um, I have an Indian friend who has darker skin compared to her older sister, who is very, very light skinned. And growing up, that was that was like a social growing up. That was like a self-esteem issue that she had uh, because like her family members would be like, oh, my God, your sister is so pretty. And then they would say a lot of like backhanded compliments to her that. Uh, was, you know, not really great to say to a kid in hindsight, but they did it anyway. Yeah, I mean, you can't even say it's like the scars of colonialism because I feel like colorism is much deeper than that um, because I think even without the the presence of like white beauty standards, I feel like people have always held like skin color as like a sign of like... Wealth and Wealth and beauty, right? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, because... At least in like East Asian culture, it's if you're tan, it must mean that you're a peasant because you're working out in the sun. And um, if you're pale, you don't have to work outside. So therefore, you're from a rich family. Uh, that that level of prejudice still exists today in, in East Asian culture. Uh, but also... I feel like it's gotten a bit better because uh, now I'm seeing a lot of East Asians getting tan to look healthy, to look like, you know, they, you know, walked out from a gym. So I don't know. <laughs> I mean, isn't that just adopting American beauty standards now? We're like, yeah, it is. So like- <laughs> it's not it, it's not better, but I feel like the beauty standard for skin color, at least, has broadened just a little bit. Slightly healthier. Slightly healthier. Slightly. (laughs) I guess, you know, it's progress. Progress is, you know, progress is always slow. So in any case, congratulations to Harshini on their debut picture book. So that is a wrap on our book deals. And we're going to be moving on to book news. And the first piece of news that we have is breaking. It literally happened a couple of seconds before we started Recording this podcast, HarperCollins Union has ended their strike after reaching a tentative agreement with their publisher on February 9th. And the union will be going back to work on the 21st of February. Yeah, congrats to everyone who held the line these last few months. Um, Happy for them, even though I still feel like they're being paid way too little um, for a New York City job. Um, It's at least, at least their salaries are now on par with, um, with the industry, which I guess, I guess it's a win, right? It's a win, but also I feel like publishing should pay their employees (laughs) way more. 50,000 is not enough, barely enough to get by in like a cheaper neighborhood in in like the bur- boroughs of, of New York. Um, but I'm really glad that they did reach an agreement. It's It's been a very long time because they've been on strike since November 
Um, and the union employees are going to be getting a one-time lump sum bonus of uh, $1,500. And it seems like the contract is going to be through December 31st, 2025. So at least they have that contract for for another two years. And I hope that people get raises afterward. I'm cynical. I don't expect there to be raises, but this is a good start. <laughs> yeah. And I'm curious to see what they negotiate in terms of their diversity initiatives as well. You know, hopefully this will also mean more diverse books for us to uh, announce on this podcast coming soon too, which, um, which, you know, sometimes we have weeks where we have a ton of book deals, but in the larger scheme of things, it's still a drop in the bucket. So I'm always happy. Like if one of these days we have like a two-hour book news episode i'd be totally fine with that because that means progress you say you'll be totally fine with that but i'll die because <laughs> i would have to do all of the the research um but i hope that this agreement this contract uh really raises the bar for the other publishing houses i know um i know simon and schuster they have like the highest uh starting sal- salary amongst the big five i think <laughs> don't quote me on yeah, it Simon but schuster I- is i think they i think harper collins raised their starting salary to be the same as simon schuster which is fifty thousand. Um, ah uh, okay yeah according yeah, to this but, um diagram on the harper collins union twitter page i just hope that you know um they increase competitive pay you know people deserve raises for all of the work that they do. Yeah, I mean, the other publishers, Penguin House, um, William Morrow, they are still below um, this parity. So um, now they have the right to negotiate when their union contract comes up too. So it's still baby steps, but it kind of shows you how one union strike can affect the whole entire industry. Um, and it's, it feels good to see them get the win, right? It makes me a little less cynical about our capitalistic world. Um, although still plenty cynical. Yeah, it does make me a little sad that we have to ask, we have to do so much work to just ask for the bare minimum. Yeah. And I really hope that the new contract uh, covers the number of hours that uh, editors are working because I know that a lot of editors, they bring their work home and they're not getting paid for those hours that they're working on from home because they have to read all of these uh, manuscripts. So I hope that they're able to get a better work life balance. But again, mm. I haven't read the contract. So <laughs> yeah. I feel like that's, I feel like that's still going to happen just by the nature of the work, you know? I, yeah. Just by the nature of the work, but I, at least they'll be better compensated. I, it's just really sad to, see so many editors that I followed online leave the publishing industry because they were burnt out. So I'm hoping that the higher pay will definitely help get a better (laughs) work-life balance, but we'll see. Yeah. In any case, congratulations to the HarperCollins Union on the new contract and looking forward to working with um, all the publicists from HarperCollins again soon. Um, as we mentioned, we have been keeping a list of all the upcoming HarperCollins books on a separate list. Um, and now that the strike is over, um, we'll probably do a all HarperCollins book news episode at some point in the future to catch up on those publishing announcements as well. So um, watch out for that. But moving on, uh, we have some award news, right, Rira? Uh, yeah. So the American Library Association, or the ALA, 
announced the 2023 winners of the Youth Media Awards, which happened on January 30th during their Lib Learn X conference in New Orleans. Um, so obviously, we are an Asian and Asian American book club podcast. So we're only going to be covering, we're only going to be shouting out we're only going to be giving shout outs to the Asian authors. We have, but congratulations we have, we have, to all of the winners. We have literary blindness. So we only see, we can only recognize Asian, Asian American authors on any list, any of these lists. I mean, we have to, we have to cheer for our own people. You know, <laughs> it's kind of like the Olympics. <laughs> um, um, but yeah, so Sabah Tahir's All My Rage won the Michael L. Prince Award for Excellence in Literature Written for Young Adults. Uh, the Last Mapmaker by Christina Suntornvat and uh, Maisie Chen's Last Chance by Lisa Yi were named Newberry Honor Books. And the American Libraries Association also announced this year's Asian Pacific American Award winners. And the APA Award for Picture Book went to From the Tops of the Trees, written by Cal Kalia Yang and illustrated by Rachel Wada. And the honoree was Nana Nanek and Nina, written and illustrated by Liza Fernihau. And the APA Award for Children's Literature uh, went to Maisie Chen's Last Chance, written by Lisa Yi. And uh, the committee named Troublemaker, written by John Cho, with Sarah Souk as the honoree. And for the last APA Award that we have on this list... Uh, the Youth Literature winner went to Himawari House, written and illustrated by Harmony Becker. And the honoree was The Silence That Binds Us, written by Joanna Ho. And that, those are the Asian winners yeah. of the so, ALA Awards. So I didn't realize that the American Library Association had like a separate, like, not even category, like a separate section, award section just for Asian books. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, we've, We've covered the APA awards in in previous years. Yeah, I just always thought that it was like its own separate thing. But that's cool just to learn that it's um part of like the official like American Library Association like umbrella, I guess. Yeah. But yeah, really cool to see all of the winners. Um, a lot of books that we've covered on this podcast before. I mean, a lot of awards were announced during this award ceremony. And uh, I'm sorry if I missed any. <laughs> but um, if I missed any Asian winners, please send them over to us by Twitter and we'll try to give a shout out. And, yeah. you know, it's really it's really nice to see books that have been banned by certain <laughs> school districts be winners in the youth media awards because as you guys may know book bans have increased nationally and uh it's become like a very serious problem as of late so um yeah um as always the book symbol uh, official stance is no book bans book bans are bad don't do it Oh my god. So I don't know if you saw, but there was like a New York Times op-ed written by Margaret Atwood, the author of The Handmaid's Tale. And pretty much the gist of it was book bans just make people want to read banned books more. <laughs> and um, it's like good for sales. And a lot of BIPOC authors were like, you missed the point. This is about kids. <laughs> These are about kids who are unable to go to a library because there is a lack of funds. There is like no public transportation. 
And a lot of uh, conservative parties have been going to libraries and uh, kind of harassing librarians to take down those books. It's also about classroom libraries that have been uh, taken away in states like Texas. It's about um, kids who don't have parents who have the time to take them to a bookstore if there is a bookstore locally. So <laughs> there was a lot of disconnect from... Yeah, you'd think yeah. Robert Atwood would be railing against, like, you are creating the dystopia that I wrote about. But yeah, that's kind of kind of a bad take from, from her. You know, I'm so glad that the American Library Association is really highlighting these books that have uh, important issues that allow, like, BIPOC kids to be seen. And yeah, it's just really reassuring <laughs> that the literary world is giving credit where it's due. So again, congratulations to all of the award winners. And with that, that'll do it for our book news for February 2023. Um, before we go, though, remind us what we're reading for this month for Book Club. We are reading The Charmed List by Julie Abe. And it's a best friends to enemies to lover story with witches and enchantment and... And a road trip. And a road trip. Yeah, gotta yeah. love road trip <laughs> stories. Yeah, um, it's a lot of fun. And we'll be discussing that book at the end of the month. What a nice um, refresher uh, for the soul after reading <laughs> our Quant's Babel last month. Um, yeah, definitely a palate cleanse because <laughs> that book went into dark places. <laughs> and the charmed list, you know, has cupcakes and tea and, and magic. And also we have a cameo in it, which is also nice. Yeah, uh, we've had Julie Abe on the show for her debut book, uh, Eva Evergreen, and, um, you know, magical, feel-good-sy <laughs> ambiance books are Julie's jam. So yeah. I'm, you know, I'm really excited to talk to you about this, Marvin, on our show. Yeah. And for those of you who have already completed the book, uh, please leave us uh, comments on our Goodreads forums or you know share your thoughts on Twitter and Instagram and we will try to incorporate them in our discussion episode and with that um, that'll do it for this episode of Books and Boba um, we'll see you all next time I think we have a couple more author interviews um, coming up and then we have our discussion of the charm list so um, lots of good content on the way but until then um, we'll see you next time on Books and Boba bye everyone bye Thanks for listening to Books and Boba. This podcast was hosted by Marvin Yue and Ri Ryu and edited and produced by Marvin Yue. Follow the book club on Twitter and Instagram by going to at Books and Boba and engage with us on Goodreads on our Goodreads group. You can also check out past episodes of the podcast by going to booksandboba.com and by subscribing to us on your favorite podcast app. Don't forget, you can support Books and Boba and Asian American authors by purchasing books at our bookshop.org account. Check out the link in our show notes and also at booksandboba.com. Books and Boba is a proud member of the Potluck Podcast Collective, a collective of Asian-American-hosted podcasts featuring unique voices and stories from the Asian diaspora. Learn more about the collective and check out our fellow Potluck shows by visiting the website podcastpotluck.com. Thanks for listening. gets a little crazy sometimes. 
Sometimes it's confusing, sometimes it's funny, sometimes it's beautiful, and sometimes it can just piss us off. Enter First of All Podcast. It's a safe space for real conversations about the things that we all struggle with, celebrate, contemplate, and work through in our daily lives. I'm your host, Mindy Chang. I'm an actor, filmmaker, and entrepreneur with a colorful background, full life, and brilliant friends who I love to unpack life with to share with all of you. They are everyday people like you and me, ranging from award-winning artists, cultural icons, powerful CEOs, my hilarious childhood friends, and even my mom. Tune in for honest conversations on mental health, dating, sex, family, career, culture, and everything in between. Listen to First of All wherever you find podcasts, part of the Potluck Podcast Collective.